welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. So we've been in a series called Life Worth Living. And what we've been doing is we've been journeying the book of Ephesians together as a community. There's something really powerful when a group of a community of people journey a specific uh, book of the Bible together. That we're all on the same page together. Not literally, of course, but that we're, uh, our lives are headed the, so, the same way. And so when we come together and we read a portion of Scripture together, that's a very powerful thing. We believe in the power of Scripture at Vineyard Cleveland. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to offer you one. There's Bibles on either side of the stage. You can pick one up whenever you'd like. But there's just something powerful when a group, a community of people journey a passage of Scripture together. We just really believe in the power of God's Word to change our lives, to continue to change our lives And specifically, uh, Jason Torrance and I uh, sat down uh, a a couple months ago and we discerned what the Lord would be saying for our community in the book of Ephesians, something of identity. What the Apostle Paul is writing about here is identity and how identity is so intertwined with mission and the mission that's on our church, on our community to bring life to the city and also just something of um, life that's worth living. What is... What does it mean that we're here on earth? Are we here just to get up in the morning, pay our taxes, and then someday check out of this world? There must be more. The sense of more that Paul is writing about in the book of Ephesians. So the sermon series has been called Life Worth Living. And today we're going to look at Ephesians 3, 7 through 21. If you wanted to turn or swipe there with me. A dear friend of mine, Joe, gave me this paraphrased version of the Bible. It's called Living Letters. And I'm going to read from Living Letters this morning, but you're welcome to follow along in whatever version that you have on your phones or uh, with you. So this is Ephesians 3, 7 through 21. God has given me the wonderful privilege of telling everyone about his plan This plan of his. And he has given me his power and special ability to do it well. Just think, though I did nothing to deserve it, and though I am the most useless Christian there is, yet I was the one chosen for the special joy of telling the Gentiles the glad news of the endless treasures available to them in Christ. And to explain to everyone that God is the Savior to the Gentiles. He's the Savior of the Gentiles too. Just as he who made all things had secretly planned from the very beginning. And his reason? To show to all the powers of heaven how perfectly wise God is. When they see all of his family, Jews and Gentiles, joined together in his church. That's the goodness there. Just as he had always planned... That's not in the paraphrase. Just the goodness. That's my... Okay. Verse 11. Just as he had always planned to do through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we can come fearlessly right into God's presence. Assured of his glad welcome when we come with Christ and trust in him. 
13. So please don't lose heart at what they are doing to me here. Paul's in prison. It is for you I'm suffering, and you should feel honored and encouraged. When I think of the wisdom and scope of his plan, I fall down on my knees and pray to the Father. Of all the great family of God, some of them up there in heaven and some down here on earth, that out of his glorious unlimited resources, he will give you the mighty inner strengthening of his Holy Spirit. And I pray that, with, that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is. And to experience this love for yourselves. Though it is so great that you will never see the end of it or fully know or understand it. And so at last you will be filled up with God himself. Now, glory to God who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of. Infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. May he be given glory forever and ever through endless ages because of his master plan of salvation for the church through Jesus Christ. Amen. How good, you guys. So what does it mean to boldly approach God? What does it mean to boldly approach God? There's a couple of key verses verses 9 and 10, that really just popped out to me these past couple weeks as I've been preparing. 9 and 10 say his intent was that now, um, now the church, the manifold wisdom of God, should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. What does it mean for you to approach God, for us to approach God? Well, first we have to look at the approach itself and what that means for us and how these two verses are so packed with goodness. These verses, oh, I can't, we're going to do most of the heavy lifting on the front end. So this is going to be like a straight preach. Are you ready? Okay. So this just blew my heart up this week. Paul's talking about a mystery. Paul's talking about a mystery that is in God, the Father. This mystery that's been set before the foundations of the world. And the mystery that he's talking about has something to do with access And the mystery that he's talking about has something to do with all people, not just Jews. Do you remember we went through the story of the gospel in 10 minutes? The story, the the meta-narrative of 10 minutes, or the meta-narrative of the story of the world in 10 minutes last Sunday? This mystery, this secret plan of God is being unfolded. And it's a story of access, it's a story of forgiveness, it's a story of hope, of redemption, of transformation for all people, 
not just the Jews, but all of us as well. Most of us, you'd say you're a Gentile, yes, meaning a non-Jew in the room. And this is really, really, really good news. Here's why it's good news. There's this way of thinking about God called temple theology. Are you familiar? As Solomon and David set up the temple to worship Yahweh in Jerusalem, as they build the temple in Israel, it's meant to be a sign of where God's presence permanently dwells. The plight of the Jews throughout thousands of years is that they've never had their own place, a place to call home where the presence of God would rest. And they set up this thing called the tabernacle, which was pretty much like a big tent revival. And so everywhere the tabernacle went, because the Jews wandered, they would set up this um, mobile presence of God tent called the tabernacle. Finally in Jerusalem, David, Solomon, David, they, they get the temple built. They get the thing done. And whew, God's presence comes and rests in the temple. And the Old Testament, the Old Testament temple is a sign of what God's presence looks like for now and for all of eternity. A place where God's presence dwells, the temple. Now Paul says that the temple now, who is the, where is the temple now? I gave it away. Where is the temple? We are the temple of God. The spirit of God lives in us. So the Old Testament temple is a sign that points forward. That points forward. As Habakkuk, we love to quote Habakkuk here at Vineyard Cleveland, prophesies that someday, and this is inaugurated with the death of Jesus at the cross, that someday the entire earth will be saturated like a sponge that can never get enough water as the waters cover the sea with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And so the Old Testament temple points forward to when Jesus inaugurates temple in us at the cross. Now when we talk about the Old Testament temple, there are, it's partitioned off, the temple in Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, and there's a place called the Holy of Holies, where no one goes. The Ark of the Covenant is in the Holy of Holies. And there's a curtain separating, separate, God's presence in the Holy of Holies, where he dwells, from the inner court, which is where the Jews are allowed to go. And then all of us, we are way, 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 way back here in the Gentile court, the outer court. In the curtain that separates the Holy of Holies from the inner court is not like some shower curtain. <laughs> the curtain that separates and hear the Holy of Holies, hear God's presence when I say the Holy of Holies. 
So the curtain that separates God's presence from men and women is like Josephus says is four inches thick. This fabric is like heavy. Josephus said that if there was an earthquake, it couldn't come down. Well, there was an earthquake. As Jesus died on the cross, as he willingly gave his life for this mystery to happen, for this thing to happen, that Jews and Gentiles would be on equal footing, not on shaky ground with the Father. That temple veil, which Josephus said you could hook up one, uh, one wagon of horses on one side and another wagon of horses on the other side attached to that curtain and say, giddy up, and they still wouldn't be able to rip it. As Jesus gives his life at the cross, the Father rips the temple veil from the top down to the bottom. And what he's saying, what God is saying is so huge in this moment. This is what Paul is referring to in verses 9 and 10. What he's saying, the the Father's heart, the Father's desire for us, he says with the ripping of the temple veil, no more separation between you and I. No more. No more veil in between my presence and where you live. And it doesn't matter. You don't have to be some holy person. In those days, the priests could enter the Holy of Holies once a year. And even then, they had to have a rope tied around their ankles so that they wouldn't die at the sight of the presence of God. Once a year to atone for the sins of the nation. And God rips that separation Paul calls it the dividing wall of hostility. And the father rips it down and says, no more separation between you and I. Face to face. Face to face. The offering that was set on the altar in the temple was called the showbread. Do you know what that is? What I'm referring to there, the showbread um, that was made to be a grain or a bread offering before Yahweh, before God. It literally means the showbread, the, uh, the face, face, the face, the bread of faces, that we would be face to face with God. That's the Father's heart. When he rips the temple veil in two, God is showing his cards. And saying, this is what I've planned all along. This is the great mystery. And it means that God is no longer hidden behind some curtain. You know, like the Wizard of Oz? We just watched the Wizard, my my kids just watched the Wizard of Oz for the first time this past week. It's funny that. Now I'm talking about it because I didn't intend to talk about the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> and you've got the great and powerful Oz behind the curtain. And there's this wonderful moment when, the cur- when Toto the dog <laughs> pulls back the curtain to reveal the great and powerful Oz. And Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz come face to face. 
the way that it's always meant to be. And then Oz bestows these gifts upon Dorothy and her travelers. This is the way that God wants it. God wants it to be that we are face to face with him. And that's the mystery. It means that what he's always desired and planned, that salvation is his and it's for everybody, Jews and Gentiles. We can approach. We have access now. We can go in. And furthermore, I was thinking about this this week. Even more than our approach to God, what this means is that God has access to approach us now. So that the veil was not torn to let us in, but to let God out. God's out. He's out. He's out now. The secrets, Paul is saying he's out now. And this, this should, all burning hearts should be inflamed with passion right now. To know that God is seeking men and women of not just one ethnic line or not just one cultural line, rich or poor, black or white, Jew or Gentile, that God is out now. The secret's out. He's always planned it this way. Listen to what Chad Bird says. This great author, he says this. In other words, Aslan is on the move. Yahweh has slipped on his Yeezys and gone for a long, long walk. Uh, uh, Nikes. For those of you who are not in the cultural know. God has slipped on, <laughs> God has slipped on his converse all-stars. Is that better? And gone for a long, long walk, and he brings holiness with him. He's, he's accessing us now, all human hearts. He brings it to us, Jews and Gentiles, men and women, old and young. He's uh, prolificate with his holiness, throwing it here and there as if he can't get rid of it fast enough. Hot dog. He's not like some miser who growls at people as they come groveling for holiness. He runs at them and presses it into their hands. He liquidates the holy of holies into a fount of water and splashes sanctification on us, unwashed and unholy sinners, thereby crowning us kings and queens of God, sons and daughters. He bakes the holy of holies into a circle of bread ferments it into a sip of wine and bids us digest his love. Oh, come on, the goodness of God. Even the mere speaking of his words showers us with sanctity as those nouns and verbs like a flock of holy birds come and nest in our hearts. Oh, come on. The connection between, in verse 14, the connection between Paul Kneeling before the Father in the dedication as Solomon does the same thing of the old temple in the Old Testament. Solomon kneels and dedicates the temple. Paul is doing this here in verse 14. He says, I kneel before the Father. And so he's dedicating the new, the new temple. You. Us. The Christian church. Those who claim Jesus as Lord. He's dedicating the new temple. God gets out. 
Here's why else this is huge. It's huge. These two verses are huge because it redefines power. Paul is redefining power. This is where it gets a little bit tricky, so bear with me. We approach God, we approach the throne as revolution. In verse 10, Paul says that his intent was that now through the church, comma, the manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities of heavenly realms. Do you realize what sort of countercultural statement Paul is making fist, rock fists up? Do you realize how backwards this is? This word manifold in the Greek, which is too long for me to pronounce for you here this morning. Maybe Ben Barnhart could pronounce it well, but not me. This word for manifold wisdom, this word, what this word in the Greek means is that the feeling or the experience of walking into a garden and seeing every color imaginable, every beautiful color imaginable represented in that garden. Paul is saying that this new body, this new humanity that Christ is building is like, it's it's like this beautiful garden. It's this uni- unified, diverse <laughs> organism of Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, as a sign of protest to the powers that be that your and my mere existence as the church of Jesus Christ, just us being here, gathered this morning, says that Jesus Christ is Lord and you are not. That Jesus, you are God and Caesar, you are not. That one day, every tear will be wiped from our faces. One day, the suffering that's going on here will end. Why? Because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus, you are Lord. And Caesar, you are not. That's pretty countercultural, y'all. You want to be the salmon swimming upstream? We all think that we are. We're so much more in the flow than what we think. Say with your life, let's say with our lives, let's say with our words, let's be. The church, Jesus, you are Lord. And the political governing structure, no, not now. Always interrupt, this is the best part. And the political governing structures, you are not. You are not God. That's it. We approach from a place of freedom and identity. In verses 12 and 14, we can have boldness because of this identity. You know, where I grew up, my family, we call it 197. I grew up at 197 North State Street in Westerville, Ohio, in Columbus. 
And all the siblings, we call it 197. It's this old, old house, 100 plus years old, really old. And the city caught up with it on the north side, and now it's like this thriving kind of suburb or whatever. But um, it's a super old house. And when I would go out to play in the backyard when I was little, the screen door was really loud. Who else had a loud screen door growing up? It, was a wooden, it wasn't metal. It was wooden with the screen. And so us kids, we would fly out that screen door. And my mom would just have a fit. She's like, stop slamming the screen door. And it was so natural for us to just run in and out of the house in the summer all day long, in and out, in and out. And what Paul is saying in verses 12 and 14 is that this is the way we are to approach God. That our neighbors at 199 or 195 could not join us or enjoy the access that us kids enjoyed, moving in and out, in and out, in and out. If my neighbor, Dr. Freeman, this 80-year-old man growing up, if my neighbor, Dr. Freeman, came bolting through the back door, my mom and dad would be like, what are you doing here? Like, he's like, sorry, I'm just here for a sandwich. I'll be, I'll be out. But that access was reserved for us kids. We come in and out all day long, go into, the free, go into the refrigerator, pick out a sandwich. But Dr. Freeman couldn't do that. I mean, I suppose he could if he really wanted to. My mom and dad wouldn't judge him, right? They'd be like, oh yeah, make yourself at home, Dr. Freeman. Kick your feet up, have a sandwich, right? But this is what Paul is talking about, that we are sons and daughters. If you claim Jesus is Lord, that, he, that Jesus is the screen door. And we can approach because of what he's done. Why? Because now we're family, and family shares things with one another. Family cares for one another. Family journeys pain together. This means that in any circumstance, the reality is that you and I approach not to earn God's favor, but we approach from a place of favor. Say that one again. When we approach God, we don't approach God to earn favor from God, to earn his smile on our lives, but we approach from a place that we already, we already have it. We already have the favor of God. No matter what. Well, what about those things that I did way back when? It doesn't matter. Jesus is the screen door. He sees you. The Father sees you through the screen door. Well, what about how many times that I sinned this week? It doesn't matter. Jesus is the screen door. The Father sees you through the screen door. Isn't that wonderful? That the Father sees you through the lens of Jesus? That you can always see through a screen door? (laughs) We approach a God of love to be filled And we approach an inexhaustible mystery and resource. It's amazing. This little prayer that Paul prays 
in verses 14 through 20 is all about Paul being so caught up in this mystery that he loses himself in worship. And his heart to see the church at Ephesus become a church who worships from this place. I wonder, I wonder how much of us, how many of us approach God this way. Or do we approach God like we're going, bless you. Do we approach God like we're going to get his voicemail? That that thing's going to click to voicemail. God's never on the line. Text God. Never text back. I wonder how many of us approach God knowing that he is, in and of himself, he is inexhaustible resource. And this causes, knowing that Paul can never plumb the depths of the love of Jesus. How high, how deep, how wide. Never get to the bottom of it. Never get to the top of it. Never get his head around it. This causes worship in Paul. And this prayer for Paul's desire for the church at Ephesus to have Christ dwell more richly in their hearts is God's desire for us as a community. That's why we're doing these worship nights this autumn. I would encourage you, come out tonight. Say, I don't know, I'm pretty introverted. Somebody's living room. Come on out. Come to the Barnhart's house tonight. Experience God. Because I have a feeling this morning, uh, so good, why? Um, I have a feeling this morning that there are a few here who are cherishing the old temple. And God is saying, "Mm -mm. as long as you're cherishing the old temple, you're going to miss out. You won't be able to move. You won't... You won't be able to move in freedom with what God is doing in the here and the now and for the future. But we clutch on to these old temples of what we think is God's presence or it was better back then. Come tonight. Come to living room worship nights. The new temple, God has built the new temple and it resides in our hearts in the presence of Christ. To him be the glory the glory which fills the temple in the way that God gets stuff done. Uh, Let's soak in this word. We're going to do a little bit of Lectio Divina. I'm going to read this over us. You don't have to do anything. We're going to move into ministry time. Bethany, if you want to come and lead us. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to... That's who got it. You don't have to... um, you can, you can hold out your hands if you want, but I'm just going to read this prayer, Paul's prayer, over us. And we're just going to sit for a minute. And as we read through this, there will be places in your hearts that God will highlight. He'll put his finger on to where, because we all have them, 
We all have these places that we're clutching to the old temple or that we're not really, um, not really grasping what it means that we're following Jesus in, in the here, in the now. We're moving forward in this. So, here's Paul's prayer. We're just going to take slow. And you don't have to do anything. You may want to close your eyes. Hold out your hands. Some of you may want to kneel. You know, this is, as Paul says, like he's kneeling before the Father. Some of you may want to kneel. Paul says, I pray. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ Christ may dwell Christ may dwell in your hearts in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high And how deep is the love of Christ? And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. To know this love that surpasses knowledge surpasses information that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power 
that's at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand together.